Today we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and we're also going to read verses 19 through 21. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and 19 through 21. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So today we're talking about money. Now, let's be honest. None of us showed up here today hoping that we were going to talk about money. At best, this is a conversation that makes us all a bit uncomfortable. And for some of us, it triggers some strong emotions. We don't like to talk about money, especially in the church. This is true for a couple reasons. One, because the church has had an increasingly bad reputation when it comes to money. The public scandals, the excess, or simply a lack of transparency all contribute to this bad reputation. And these are not just issues with the megachurches or celebrity pastors in their private jets, but churches of all shapes and sizes have had problems with the way that they handle money. And as a result, we have lost the trust of many, both in and out of the church. A second reason we don't like to talk about money is because in our culture, money is a taboo topic. Now, of course, showing off your wealth is not taboo, but discussing the specifics of salary, debt, and spending is off limits in most settings. In fact, just this year, a handful of states passed Salary transparency laws. These are laws that require companies to disclose salaries to the public. Now, this has been the norm in many countries, such as Canada, France, Spain, Portugal, and Switzerland, but only eight states in America have these laws, and they're not exactly popular. We have a cultural aversion to talking about money. And though it's not the only factor, this certainly contributes to our resistance to having this conversation in the church. We don't like to talk about money. And I, you know, I don't want to talk about it. You don't want me to talk about it. Yet here we are. Jesus doesn't really give us much of a choice. So contrast this with Jesus who talks about money constantly. Almost 25% of Jesus's recorded teachings have to do with money, 25%. 
Here's just a few things that Jesus has to say on the matter. I'm just going to read through some of these statements that Jesus has said. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. One who is faithful with very little will be faithful with much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Be on your guard against all materialism. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, but be content with your pay. If you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. How hard is it for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus makes it very clear how we think about and how we use our money matters. And if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to participate in his kingdom movement, then talking about our money cannot be off limits. While we don't need to have it all figured out tomorrow, it is essential to our discipleship journey that we take Jesus seriously on an issue that clearly matters a lot to him. So Jesus' ultimate goal and our, and our point, our main point for our time together tonight is that his kingdom would be known for their radical generosity. Jesus' ultimate goal is that his kingdom people would be known for their radical generosity. N.T. Wright writes in his commentary on Luke, The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. It sounds a lot better in a British accent. I I can't do that. So, So with all this in mind, let's take a look at our passage again. It's going to be up on the screen here for you. I want you to notice in these first few verses that Jesus assumes that our generosity is motivated by reward. He assumes that we're motivated by reward, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Look, he begins by saying, if you give in order to receive attention or praise from others, then you will receive just that, attention and praise from people, but you will not receive the reward from God. So there is a reward from God, but the the question is not whether or not you'll receive a reward, but where you will get your reward from. 
So realize this. I mean, this is an important point for us to understand. If your generosity or any spiritual practice or discipline for that matter is motivated by a desire to receive honor, to receive praise, to receive attention or whatever it might be, then you will probably get what you want. You will probably get honor. You will probably get praise. You will probably get attention from others. We're really good at getting that for ourselves. But Jesus warns us, that is all you will get. You know, Jesus here, he's addressing a common practice in his time where the wealthy would make a big show of their giving. They would lead a parade down the street of Jerusalem to the temple where they would announce their big extravagant gift that they were making. It was sort of a competition among the wealthy upper class, and it was all about performance. It was all about gaining attention and status by the size and extravagance of your gift. So we hear this and we think, Well, none of us would do that. None of us would lead a parade down Gay Street here and and come and and present our gift and make a big show uh, of it to try to get the attention of others. But if we're honest, the motivation that is behind this practice 2,000 years ago is still there in the things that we do today. When we post our morning devotional, on on Instagram just to get likes or comments, when we slip into conversation, how we've helped out our neighbor in a bind or served uh, in a, a ministry in this particular way, just as a way of getting some attention and respect. We've all done this. Okay, We've all done this where our motivation is, is not um, to honor and serve God in what we're doing, but, but to actually gain honor and respect for ourselves from others. And so in verse 2, Jesus uses a very loaded word, at least in our context, to describe uh, people who who do this, people who give in order to receive attention. He calls them hypocrites. Now today, uh, hypocrite is used almost exclusively in religious or ethical context. It refers to someone who is outspoken on a particular moral issue, but lives in a way that is contrary to what they preach. Okay, they're pretending to be something they're not. No one wants to be called a hypocrite. Well, in Jesus's context, this is not a religious word at all. Okay, here's what Jesus is talking about. We're going to throw this picture up on the screen. Okay, this is an ancient Greek uh, amphitheater. Okay, and the word hypocrite, what it means is actor. So theater was huge in ancient Greece, and it spread all over the known world during the reign of the Greek Empire, which happened in the centuries leading up to Jesus. So Jesus, he draws on this common image. Everyone would have seen this sort of setting. Maybe they haven't gone and seen a a play, but they know uh, what happens in this amphitheater. Everyone's seen it. And so Jesus draws on this common image of an actor playing a role on stage to describe those whose generosity is motivated by a desire to receive praise and attention from others. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this passage. He says, when you do something for someone else, 
Don't call attention to yourself. You've seen these people in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and street corner like a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. So when you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. For that is the way that your God, who conceived you in love, is working behind the scenes to help you out. Okay, that's Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew 6, verses 2 and 4. So in this sense, it's easy to understand what Jesus is getting at. Okay, these are people who put on a mask of generosity. They put on this this appearance of generosity, but underneath, their giving is motivated by a reward that is self-serving. Okay, and what they're doing is that they are using that person and their need in order to elevate themselves as religiously or morally superior. It's a false generosity. It's not generosity at all. It's, it's uh, giving in order to receive something in return. And Jesus says that the reward for a false generosity is at best temporary and will ultimately leave you empty. Jesus really doesn't want his kingdom people to practice a false generosity. However, he really wants them to be known for true generosity. So what is true generosity? What motivates it? And what is the true reward? Because it's not generosity with no reward, Right? Jesus says there is a reward, but it's not the approval, the reputation, or the status that we often look for. So jump ahead to verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. This is temporary treasures, things that will fade, things that can be, be taken away. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is an eternal or lasting treasure. And then he ends with this this short, memorable line. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Tom Wright translates this line as, show me your treasure and I will show you your heart. So the first thing I think needs to be said here is we we hear the phrase treasure in heaven or in verse one, a reward from your father in heaven. And our mind often goes to the next life, so to speak, or eternal life. We tend to think that Jesus is talking about solely a future reality here. So our interpretation of this little passage becomes you know, we should give generously now so that someday when we die and go to heaven, we will be rewarded. Okay, it doesn't so much affect us now. We might, we might actually lose out now and, and suffer a little bit now, but we can at least take comfort in knowing that in the next life, we will be rewarded. 
But we have to constantly remind ourselves that that is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, uh, his main concern was not dying, us dying and going to heaven, particularly not in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus's main message was that he had come to bring the kingdom of God here, to bring heaven to earth. And he's telling us this is what it looks like. So, so heaven is not some far off, unreachable place where some of us will go and live eternal spiritual lives. Heaven is God's space and it was created to be united with earth. Think Garden of Eden, right? Heaven and earth fully united. And the story of the Bible, which reaches its climax in Jesus, is all about these two spaces, heaven and earth, that are being that have been torn apart, coming back together, heaven coming down to earth and reuniting together. Okay, it's not about us leaving earth and go to heaven, but heaven coming to earth. That's what Jesus is all about. So when Jesus says our reward is in heaven. There's certainly a future element to that as we wait for the renewed heaven and earth, but there is also very much a a present reality. Okay, there's a present reality to that as we participate in the spreading of Jesus's kingdom here and now. This is what Jesus is getting at when he said to his disciples, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give and than to receive. That word for blessed is the Greek word makarios. Okay, it's often translated as happy. Therefore, the one who gives is happier than the one who receives. Now, let's be honest. Some of us, we hear that and, and we sort of roll our eyes and we think, okay, well, you know, sure, that sounds nice. Uh, you could put that up on a little picture frame in, in your house, but we live in the real world. And if I just had a little bit more, if I could just make a little bit more, if my monthly budget was just a little bit higher, then I would have peace. Then I could have rest. I, I would be less anxious. I would be less worried about money. Maybe I could even splurge and enjoy a thing or two. Maybe I could give a little bit more, but but strictly from a psychological perspective, what Jesus is saying here thousands of year ago, years ago, we know is now backed up by loads of, of research today. It's amazing. Jesus does this all the time. He, he speaks this kind of, um, these truths that at the time seem uh, strange and, and unbelievable. And, and now that we're doing all this research on psychology and sociology were like, hey, Jesus actually knew what he was talking about uh, most of the time or all the time for that matter. Um, so we have these studies that, that show that a habit of generosity is linked to better physical health, better mental health, better relationships, a more positive perspective on self and life and, and just more general happiness. In contrast, there was a 2010 study performed by Nobel Prize winner Angus Deaton, and he revealed that having more money or storing up worldly treasure in Jesus's words did not lead to more happiness. Instead, an increase in annual income above a certain amount was linked to a decrease in overall health and well-being. 
Now, of course, there's certainly debate around that, and, and of course someone can have a lot of money and be happy, but the fact remains that a life characterized by generosity, a life that is oriented around giving rather than receiving or storing up, leads to more joy, more gratitude for what you have, more contentment, more compassion for others. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a scientific fact. But there's more to what Jesus is saying here than just a social and psychological reality of feeling good or feeling happy. This word blessed, that the word that Jesus used, blessed or makarios, it clues us into a very important reality about the reward that comes from true generosity. Does any, do you know, where does Jesus repeat this word over and over again? Maybe we've looked at it together. The Beatitudes, right? Yeah, the Beatitudes are blessings. Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount. We spent six months in this. He, he opens the Sermon on the Mount with a series of nine blessings. Okay, you might remember them. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right and so on. And Jesus speaks these over the crowd and he says, we, we talked about this each week, he says that this isn't a, a promise of a future reality, but this is actually a promise that the kingdom of God has come to these types of people. The kingdom of God has come to the poor, has come to the meek. It has come to those who are are mourning and longing for the world to be made right. And it is through these people that the kingdom of God will spread throughout the earth. So these are the people to whom and through whom the kingdom of God has come and will spread. And now he says, blessed are those who give rather than receive. In light of that, we, we see that Jesus is saying that countercultural, selfless, habitual generosity is one of the core ways that the kingdom of God spreads. Or in the words of N.T. Wright, it is a kingdom characterized by glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. Michael Frost, in his book called Exiles, writes, in a world of greed and consumerism, the church ought to be a community of generosity and selflessness. In a host empire that is committed to marginalizing the poor, resisting the place of women, causing suffering to the disenfranchised, the Christian community must be generous to a fault, pursuant of justice, and flushed with mercy." True generosity is essential to our calling as Jesus' kingdom community here on earth. True generosity is not motivated by self-serving attention or glory, but a deep longing to fulfill your purpose in Jesus' kingdom movement here on earth. A truly generous person doesn't need to flaunt or perform their generosity, just like they don't need to make a big deal out of breathing or walking. True generosity just flows naturally out of a person whose heart lies in Jesus, 
lies in his kingdom and in, in his daily provision rather than their own comfort, their own gain, their own security, their own kingdom. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in close, how do we move towards generosity? How do we move towards true generosity? Because none of us have arrived, right? Like, like any habit that Jesus invites us into, this is a lifelong journey of continually discovering what radical generosity looks like for each one of us. So here are just a few things to consider as we, as we follow Jesus' teaching around money. Okay, these are not, this is not God's word. This is not, not scriptural. These are just things that I thought would be helpful for each one of us as we consider what does true generosity look like in my life. So, so please take these as that. Number one, invest in your local church community. Invest in your local church community. Now, I know you, you all have been waiting for me to say this. So, so let me clarify. Jesus's main concern, I believe, is not how. It's not when. It's not how much you give to your church community. Jesus's main concern is that you are completely open-handed with everything that you have and that you live a life that is characterized by generosity. And those of you who have been around Commonwealth know that, that we, we tend to avoid talking about money and giving, probably to a fault. We never want anyone to feel like giving to Commonwealth is a prerequisite or an expectation to belonging in this community. We realize that everyone is in different places financially and in their relationship to the church. So we don't want anyone to feel pressure to do something that they are uncomfortable with. And please hear my sincerity in saying that. But what I do think you need to consider is this. If Commonwealth is a community that you have committed to, then this community is your little pocket of the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus chose, chose the church, these little Jesus communities, to be his expre the expression of his kingdom after he leaves all over the world. So this is your little expression of the kingdom of God here on earth. The local body of Christ, Jesus' intended vehicle for the breaking in and the spreading of his kingdom. And Jesus desires that we would be deeply invested in our local expression of his church. Now that can look a lot of different ways, but, but he, it seems to be clear that our money is one very important way that we do that. One very important way that we invest in this local expression of the kingdom of God. So, so the first thing to consider, I believe, is to invest in your local church community. The second thing is start a blessed fund. Start a blessed fund. It is a really, I think, wonderful and easy thing to do. Every month as you do your budget, just set aside a certain amount of money. Maybe it's $100, uh, maybe it's $200, maybe it's just $50, $20, $10. Whatever it is for you, just set aside a certain amount of money every month. 
And as needs arise in the lives of your neighbors or your friends, or maybe God just puts it on your heart to bless someone in a, in a special way, you already have that money set aside to do that. Okay, you don't have to think, oh, well, do I have to move stuff around and adjust things to, to make room for this? You already have the money set aside. This is a great and easy way to just build generosity into your budget and bless people as, as needs arise. So start a bless fund. Number three, practice creative generosity. Practice creative generosity. Depending on your season of life or your financial situation, generosity with money may be difficult. Okay? I understand that. It's never impossible. Okay? It should always be a part of our generosity, but there's plenty of ways to live a radically generous life when money is tight. Hospitality, right? Open up your home to people. Have them over for a home-cooked meal. meal. Or if you can't swing the meal for whatever reason, just have them over for coffee or tea. Uh, How, I mean, some people may have never had someone just welcome them into their home and be served a cup of tea. Okay, that can be a generous thing to do with your time and with your space. Practice regular hospitality. Maybe next time you're baking, Okay, double that re- the recipe and then walk around your block and just deliver baked goods to your neighbors. Just a great, easy way to bless someone um, uh, with some, some home-baked goods. Grow a garden. A lot of us are doing gardens, uh, especially right now in the spring. Grow a garden and, and then just invite neighbors over to come pick as much as they want. There might be none left for you, but, but you just bless your neighbors with whatever grows in, in your garden. Invite them over, have a, have a vegetable picking party. Be generous with your time and with your energy. Okay, most people desperately need someone to just sit with them and just listen to them. Give people your time and your energy. Use your talents. Uh, so a lot of us are artistic. We make things with our hands. We have particular skills and abilities. Use your talents to to bless people to offer those talents to others uh, who might need some help in a particular way that they can't themselves do, okay? Offer you your unique talents to people uh, as they have needs. There are so many creative ways to live generously. The important thing, though, with any of this is that we create habits of generosity, that we don't just do it when it's easy or when it's convenient. Okay, if you listened to last week's podcast, put this in your rule of life. Write down specific ways that you are going to build generosity into your daily and weekly and monthly and, and yearly rhythms. I'm going to deliver baked goods to my neighbors every Monday night. I'm going to set aside this amount of money every month in a blessed fund so I can bless people as needs arise or as God puts something on my heart, something like that. But it's important that you establish, whether it's creative generosity, whether it's giving financially, uh, that you establish habits of generosity in your life. Number four, increase your standard of giving before you increase your standard of living. 
Increase your standard of giving before you increase your standard of living. If you've ever received an increase in your income, you know how easy it is to immediately increase your standard of living to match your income. Money was tight. You had no margin. You thought, if only I was making a little bit more. Then you start making a little bit more and all of a sudden money is tight again. You have no margin and you think, if only I'm just making a little bit more. We, we, are, we tend to always spend whatever comes in. And, and if we're not intentional, we'll end up just spending everything we make each month. Radically generous people prioritize generosity above all else. The first thing to come out of their paycheck every month is what they are giving away. And then they live on the rest. So when you receive an increase in your income, which I hope we all do at some point in our lives, we're pretty young, uh, many of us will receive raises or promotions or new opportunities that increase our income. The first thing you should do when that happens is sit down and consider how might God want you to use your increase in income to increase your generosity? How might he want you to increase your generosity before you increase your spending? Increase your standard of giving before you increase your standard of living. And, and finally, number five, if, if as we're talking about this, you find that generosity is really difficult for you, I would encourage you to start with gratitude. Start with gratitude. If it's difficult to imagine or see the reason uh, behind generosity, why would you include these in your life? Why would you give away uh, the money that you worked hard to earn? Why would you uh, give away so much of your time and energy to others? What's that all about? Well, well I would encourage you to start with gratitude. Okay? This isn't, this isn't a, a, just a Bible thing. This is just a general uh, fact, but grateful people are generous people. And generous people are grateful people. And so what I would say, this is a really easy practice that every single one of us can start doing tomorrow if we want. But buy, get a little notebook, put it beside your bed. And every morning when you wake up, before you do anything else, just sit there and open up the notebook and write down three things, anything that you're grateful for. Three things. Do that every day. Start your day with gratitude, naming some things. They can be simple, they can be big, whatever it might be. And what I would, what I would say to you or challenge you to do is just, just do that for a month and see what happens. I think you'll find that that regular practice of gratitude will be incredibly transformative. And a month later, if you continue to practice that, I don't think that generosity will be quite as hard for you to imagine or quite as hard for you to step into in some capacity. So if, if generosity is difficult for you, that's okay. Start with gratitude. Start with gratitude. All right, so we're going to worship now. Um, Brooks and Kirk are going to come up and lead us in a song. And and what I would just encourage you to do is, is feel free if you need to just sit and listen, meditate on these words, pray, connect with God, however you need to do that. 
I encourage you to do that. We always put note cards and pens on the tables. Feel free to grab a note card and, and write write something down. If God puts something on your heart, if he speaks something to you, if you feel challenged or encouraged in a particular way, just jot that down, save that for later and and process that. We never want to leave this place without having something that God has given us in some way that we can step in to the life he is calling us to.